We don't do that with other traumas, do we? No. So that those are some, those are a few of the reasons, right? Now, one of the other reasons, the last one I'll speak about, and again, thank you so much for the platform. Hope. I mean, that that's the, that's the best four letter word out there. You know, there, there, there is hope. You can get through this. But again, you have to have the right knowledge. When, when my husband and I went to marriage counseling, I was basically told, Beth, look, you decided to stay with this guy. You're going to have to just learn to live with this, right? So we need to have the right knowledge. We need the right tools and then that right motivation. And if people come, if people come to terms with that's what they need, then you can create a, a beautiful relationship on the other side. So hope, that's my message. There is hope. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David Simons. Yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David Simons. Yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. But David Simons. Welcome to another episode of How I Discovered My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. I am honored and excited to have today's guest on the show. Beth Fisher is a betrayal trauma recovery specialist guiding couples through the healing process so they can build a new relationship based on trust, intimacy, and mutual respect. Beth has a master's degree in counseling and certifications in NLP, root cause therapy, innate well-being, and post-betrayal transformation. She draws mostly on her personal experience as a betrayed wife who, together with her husband, created a magical marriage on the other side of her husband's infidelities. Helping other couples do the same is not only her mission, but her passion. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Beth, for coming on. Oh, I'm honored, David. Thank you. It's so good to see you again. Likewise, likewise. So, Beth, I mean, we're, we're going to dive into so many areas today, but I, I, I want to start really with, I want to take, take us through all the way back to like childhood, like your, your, just your gift and what you started to see in the world as a child and how did you become and nurture the gifts that you have today? Oh my gosh. I love that question because we're going to go full circle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan middle class. My dad, you know, was a police officer. My mom stayed home with me and my sisters and I was the youngest and I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I just, that was it. Uh, even though my sisters are four and five years older than me, when we would, you know, be home playing, I was the teacher and my, my sisters would be my students. Right. So it was just, it was a calling. I knew I, I just wanted to be a teacher. So, uh, that was kind of my, my upbringing. I loved school, uh, did very well in school, um, got through high school. Uh, I was the first person in my family, both sides, to actually go to college and get a degree, um, which was quite an accomplishment. You know, a lot, lot of pride came from that. And then I went further and got the master's. So, you know, but growing up, I, you know, I had a pretty typical childhood, nothing, you know, no major stressors, you know, mom and dad did the best they could with what they had. And 
we got in the family station wagon once a year and drove down to Florida for vacations, you know? So it was just pretty, pretty typical. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what I do today, you know, I, so after college, of course, I became a teacher, uh, but only for about six years because then another path opened up for me. I became the principal of the school, which was a very, very different role for me. Um, you know, David, it was one of those scenarios like, you know, I've seen the boss's job and I don't want it, you know? So this was of a small Catholic church. And when the pastor had approached me and said, you know, have, you know, would you consider taking over as principal? I'm like, me? I'm a teacher. I teach junior high science, right? That's what I love. But, um, but I, I did it. And I did that for nine more years and I absolutely loved it. I knew being in that environment and I stayed in that same school, that same small Catholic school in Southfield, Michigan for 15 years. And I loved it. You know, coming full circle, it's what I do today again. I'm back in the classroom. The students are different. I'm not teaching, you know, uh, chemistry 101, but I'm certainly teaching biology and chemistry when it comes to working with with uh, with couples. So I had a bit of a gap in between my two teaching careers, but I'm back where I belong. And I feel wow. that. Beautifully yeah. said. Wow. So so take us through, Beth, like, and I'm sure you get asked those all the time. How did it lead into this second area of teaching and now teaching with couples take us through the nitty-gritty details if you can yeah. uh, uh oh, yeah. i feel like there are a lot of other people that will benefit from hearing your story yeah you know and i talk about my nitty-gritty details all the time there's there's never any questions that i will not answer from people because this is such a uh this is such a prevalent um, state today with couples that I want to share as much of my story as I can with people so that first of all, they know they're not alone. Second of all, they know they're not crazy. And third of all, so that they know there is hope. There is another side. If, if all the right work is done and everybody's coming to the table with the right motivation, you can get to the other side. So to answer your question, you know, David, um, my husband and I, we, uh, we had, a, again, a typical marriage. There was nothing glaring in our marriage. There was nothing like uh, no major red flags in our marriage that I would have seen at the time. Um, But, you know, I mean, we were busy. He worked. I worked. We had two kids. He traveled. Um, I used to joke that I was like this single married mom, you know, raising my kids and my husband would be here on the weekends. And we enjoyed our time together. We're big DIYers. So we, you know, we laid down hardwood floors. We built a kitchen in our backyard. I mean, we were just a typical family until one day we weren't. And, you know, there was a couple years prior to this, uh, what we call D-Day, which is Discovery Day. It's, It's a big day in a betrayed partner's world. It's basically when her world crashes. And those last couple of years prior to D-Day, my husband, I really felt my husband and I were getting distant and I would ask him, like, I wasn't blind to it. I would say, you know, hey, honey, what's going on? I don't feel like we're connecting, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to get too graphic here, you know, but I was even talking like, you know, our, our intimate life is not like it used to be. And he would say things to me, which were very loving. He would be like, Beth, I love you. I mean, we're, we're getting older. We've been together for so long, you know, but you're my only woman. And 
you know, and he would say just enough for me to go, okay, well, I, I guess everything's fine. Well, it wasn't fine. So, you know, this, this D-Day that happened, my husband had disclosed one evening that there was an infidelity. Um, the whole story would probably take hours, but to, to, to give you the, you know, a, a smaller version of it, that first night that he disclosed, he disclosed that there had been one infidelity that had happened years ago with one woman. Um, the end of that story, and after three years of living in a, just an, an extreme high trauma state, after three years, he finally disclosed the whole story. And there were many affairs. There were actually six while we were married. There was some cheating when we were dating. So it was really a pretty big story, but it it trickled out over those three years. And each time I had a new D-Day, Discovery Day, it was like my world crashed again. And then I'd kind of get back up and then there'd be more information and then my world would crash again. And it was just three years of torture um, for both of us, really. And now, I mean, I only felt my torture, but it was, uh, it was, it was, it was devastating. I had some pretty serious thoughts after, you know, that long of a time in such a high trauma state where you just feel like I, I can't continue. I can't keep doing this. Yeah. Um, and if it wasn't for the grace of God and it wasn't for my, my two daughters, I don't know what would have happened, but I am here and I got myself off the ground. And now that's what I do. I try to help betrayed partners. First of all, let them know that what they're going through is normal. They're, they're experiencing what we call betrayal trauma and it's real. And I didn't know that when I was going through it, I just thought I was crazy. I was going to be one of those women that couldn't forgive and couldn't move on, even though I wanted to. Um, I didn't know anything about betrayal trauma and survival mode and the nervous system and how trauma affects us. And I didn't know any of that. So yeah, coming full circle, that's what I do. I work with the betrayed partner to try to let them understand what's going on. But then I also work with the unfaithful partner as well which makes me a little unique, I think, than uh, than the average person out there that's dealing yeah. with this topic. Wow, I mean, it's 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 phenomenal. The first time you told me about what you do, I was like, that is unique, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's totally unique what you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how, how life takes journeys. Like, you know, we have a gift or we have a talent or an ability and we don't know how that will transform how we'll utilize that and and, and and you're using like you said earlier eloquently that you're using your ability to teach and counsel and coach to help other people through something that probably you wouldn't have wanted to necessarily uh coach people through um but with that said how did i know i know this is a longer story but how did you and your husband get to a resolve and and build through that trauma of the betrayal? Well, it was day by day. (laughs) Had I had the blueprint that I teach today, we might've gotten through it a little bit faster. But again, I I, I didn't know, you know, it's it's what we call unconscious incompetence, right? You don't know what you don't know. Um, But what did we do? You know, I look at, especially reconciliation, I look at it, David, as a three-part process. 
And we really have this backwards in, in, in the betrayal world. You know, when you start Googling things, um, most, most of the time, let me tell you what happens and then why I do it differently. So most of the time, what happens is the, the wife and, and let me put a little disclaimer here. Um, most of the couples I work with, the husband has been the inf uh, unfaithful one and the wife is the betrayed. But I do have couples where it's in reverse. Uh, but just for the sake of keeping things simple, uh, I'll just stick with that context. So normally what happens is when the wife finds out there's been infidelity, she starts Googling. My husband had an affair. What do I do? Marriage counseling is usually one of the things that comes up, right? And the betrayed partner is in so much pain that she's the one who ends up seeking out help and support. Now, the unfaithful partner in most contexts, not all, but in most contexts, he has been caught. Uh, he has stopped all acting out. He has said he's sorry, and he just now wants to move on. He's like, what, what else can I do, right? I, I, I just want to move on. I'm sorry I did what I did. Let's just move on. That's what my husband and I went through for a long time, and I was the one watching the videos, reading the books, listening to the podcast. And my husband was just going to work, coming home, and then going to bed every night. And I knew instinctively that that was wrong. It didn't feel right. Like why am, I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I the only one doing the work? But that's really what happens in the betrayal world. And I learned that firsthand. When I was Googling, I didn't come across anything that said, if you're an unfaithful partner, click here. Mm -hmm. It was all, if you're a betrayed partner, click here, right? Mm -hmm. So there wasn't even any guidance when we were going through this for my husband to even, even think that he needed any help because there was nothing there. So I, you know, I was actually reinforced thinking this was my problem. I needed to learn how to live with this. I needed to, to make my decision, either stay or go, right? And if you divorce, just move on. And if you're going to stay, then you have to forget about it and just forgive and move on. Well, neither of those options worked for me. I didn't want either of those. So that's how it works in, in Google land, right? Which is where we all go, right? Google knows more about us than our best friend, you know? This is what needs to happen. And, and I'll circle this back around. I look at reconciliation as a three-part process. Number one, the betrayed partner needs support. That's it. She needs to heal. She needs to learn how to come out of the story of the affairs or the pornography addiction or, or whatever it is that the acting out was. So that's how I help the women. It's like, I have to help them detach is what I call it from the story. So they can start sleeping because they're not sleeping. They're not eating. They're not taking care of themselves. Their social world has just collapsed around them. A lot of these women go silent because they don't want to tell anybody. They're afraid to tell their friends or their family because of judgment and all kinds of other things. So their world just shrinks. So I need to help them. So that's part one. Part two and three both belong to the unfaithful partner, which is the unique aspect that, that I, at least for me and my husband, it's what worked, right? So it's what I help couples do. 
the first thing that the betrayed, the betrayer, the unfaithful partner needs to do is understand betrayal trauma. There was nothing out there. Every time I said to my husband, I'm having a trigger, he would respond with, again, when are you going to stop? You need to just stop thinking about it, Beth, right? There was nothing, there was no education for the unfaithful partner to understand what really is going on. There's so much primal going on when we are experiencing any kind of a trauma, but certainly with the betrayal. So the unfaithful partner, that's, that's job one for them is understanding betrayal trauma. And then job two is uncovering their why. W-H-Y, why did they do this? And I could spend, again, hours on, on that topic because most people will stay in excuses rather than really getting to the core reason why there was cheating. Um, because it's, it's deep. It's deeper than the marriage. If, if you don't mind, could you, just for, for people listening to this, could you go into the why that happened in your, in your case a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So most people, most of the unfaithful partners, we'll, we'll start with there because when they come to me, they're like, Beth, I already know why I cheated. We weren't talking. We weren't communicating. You know, we were, we were getting distant. Maybe there was, you know, again, not as much intimacy in the bedroom. So they give me all of these reasons and I'll put that in air quote. They give me all of these reasons, but really those are what we, what I call anyway, excuses. And that th there's a, there's a reason why those are excuses and it falls back on the betrayed partner. So let's just say, David, let's just say in my case, my husband said we had a bad marriage. Okay. Well, first of all, whose definition? <laughs> I don't think we had a bad marriage. So you're making all these uh, behaviors, right? You're taking all these actions based on your own definition of a bad marriage. When were you going to ask me my definition of a bad marriage, right? But let's just use that for a second. Let's say that my husband and I both agreed that the reason he had affairs was because we had a bad marriage. Now, let's say we're trying to reconcile, okay? If we're trying to reconcile and the reason my husband cheated on me was because we had a bad marriage, then my nervous system has now linked two things together. And this is getting a little more into the neuroscience and the physiology, but um, you know, in its most simplest terms, my nervous system has now linked bad marriage with pain. So I, by default, in order to protect myself, I need to make sure that my marriage is good all the time mm. so that I don't get hurt again. But that, I can't do that. I'm not a robot. I'm a human. And my husband is going to tick me off every once in a while. So I'm going to end up squashing my true emotions. Let's say my husband comes home. We're trying to reconcile, right? My husband comes home from a trip and I've had triggers. If I believe in my core that our bad marriage caused this pain, then I'm not going to be honest with him. I'm going to suppress that emotion and go, I can't bring that up. Because if he gets mad at me, he may go out and hurt me again. So when we stay, and I can use that with every example, no sex, right? What, what do I have to be now? If, if I've linked those two things together, my husband cheated on me because of a, a lack of intimacy in the bedroom, right? So what do I have to do? 
I have to make sure that he is, he is happy with me in that area or I'm going to get hurt again. So what's interesting is when I'm talking to the unfaithful partner and, and I ask them, tell me all the reasons why. And they usually give me, you know, five or six and I break every one of them apart just like that. And go, what you're doing is giving your wife now the responsibility of making sure that you never hurt her again. Mm. The core why has nothing to do with the marriage. Wow. wow. And that's a huge misconception out there. Everybody thinks it's a part of the marriage. Mm. The things that were wrong in the marriage were symptoms of the bigger problem. They were just symptoms of a disease, if you will. You know, not that there's a disease involved, but that analogy. They're just symptoms. If we were not intimate in the bedroom, if we were not communicating, if he was emotionally distant, those are things that are deeper than just the marriage. There's underlying reasons for those things. So that's that's that second part. And that's what I, I try <laughs> and help the unfaithful partners uncover so that their wives can feel safe again. Wow. There's no trust without safety. There's no safety without the core reason. That's and that's kind of the magic formula. That's deep. So what's that third piece you said? So of, of that? Um... Yep, it's the why. So oh, the, the three part, yeah, the betrayed partner is only focused on her healing. And then the unfaithful partner needs to understand betrayal trauma and figure out the why. Okay. So now look at this now, right? Now we've gone to the betrayed partner has one third and the unfaithful partner has two thirds versus the old way, which is the betrayed partner has a hundred percent and the, the husband's doing nothing. He's going to work and going to bed and snoring all night while she's Googling and hasn't slept in three days. Wow, this is so deep. So, so how, I mean, you obviously went through uh, an experience of finding this because you went through your own trauma, dealing with this, trying to like, how did you come to these realizations? It, 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 I'm curious because this show, show, we also talk about three Ds. We talk about discovery, how you discovered your gift, then how you developed it. And you've obviously, had to go through a lot of development to learn these uh, principles to help other couples. So what was that development process of you learning what these key pieces are uh, while you're going through your own journey of healing with your husband? Yeah, you know, I think it was the fact that I had this counseling degree. I, I was mm -hmm. able to, there was just a part within me, David. And, and again, I think it's because this was my mission right? Mm. Ultimately, this was my mission, you know, to help people with, with this, uh, you know, with this situation. Um, I was able to see things. I mean, I just instinctively knew that when my husband said, Beth, come on, we had a bad marriage. I mean, what did you think was going to happen? I just instinctively knew that it had to be deeper than that. Mm. So I think I developed everything that, that I learned, I guess, through living it day by day going, this doesn't feel right. Now, a lot of betrayed partners have those moments where this just doesn't feel right, but they're living through fear. They're afraid of leaving. They're afraid of staying. There's some fears of rejection or abandonment or fears of being alone. Some of those core issues that maybe they've had 
you know, maybe there's some unhealed trauma in their past, right? And it's bringing up other fears. So one of the first things I did when I really made up my mind to get, I call it getting off the bathroom floor because that that last D-Day, I was literally on the bathroom floor, fetal position, screaming to God, I can't take this anymore. I can't do this again. I don't have one more in me. I mean, it was almost three years of that, right? So when I did finally get off the floor, I just said, I can't do it. If you want to be with me, meaning to my husband, you need to get help. You need to go figure this out. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a, um, I had a wonderful psychologist on, on speed dial <laughs> who dealt with, he didn't deal with the betrayed partners, but he dealt with the unfaithful partners with uh, infidelity. And I said, you need to call him. And if you want to stay with me, that's the only way forward. And then I detached, just like that, David, I detached. I said, I'm done. I don't care if there's more women. I don't care if there's more D-Days. I don't care. I need to focus on me because if I don't start sleeping and eating and taking care of myself and taking care of our children and becoming calm again with the world, stop waking up angry every day, stop waking up crying every single morning. If I don't do those things, I'm not going to survive. So it was a mindset shift. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, that's profound. And, and in regards to that, right, because, you know, a lot of a lot of people and, and even from a from a spiritual standpoint, some some people also have the prescription of like, oh, that's it. That, that's we're done. You know, like it's out the window. Doesn't matter I, I, how much I love you, how much I care about you. It's a wrap. So like if you could take us into that you know how you yes you did detach but you also were were willing to be commit committed to the relationship mm-hmm. this you know as long as your spouse was willing to show forth their commitment so what what is what is your what do you run into with people ha- having that philosophy and what is your f- personal philosophy on that um you know hey you know what do i throw this out it's done obviously you don't believe that right which is great um but but what about couples who come to that, you know, and how do you navigate through that? Yeah. So it's an interesting question that I get a lot, right? Like at what point did I decide to stay? Okay. Um, I never wanted to leave. Now, this is what's interesting about it, David. Had I been healthier, I would have left. Had I been healthier, I would have left. Why? And it's not that I would have left. It's that I would have enforced that boundary a heck of a lot sooner. But I was living through some fears. Again, like I just mentioned, right? I had some fears of being alone, some fears of judgment, some, you know, fear of failure. I had some of those fears and that was driving me. It was almost a driving force that that said, you need to stay. If I hadn't had those fears, I would have put that boundary in place after D-Day 1 and said, oh my God, you need to get help yesterday. And if you want to stay with me, that's that's your path. But I didn't do that because I wasn't as healthy as I am today. Mm. Now, I know that that's kind of an around the bout answer. So let me talk about changing. When I... You know, even like on social media, when I when I post like on Instagram or Facebook or, or wh- wherever it is, 
inevitably, there's always going to be somebody who's like, you need to just leave. Stop telling these women that there's a chance. Their husbands are never going to change. Cheaters never change, right? I get really frustrated with those. I don't respond anymore. It's like, okay, you know, everybody's got their own opinion, right? But I, in order to do what I do all day, David, I have to believe that every human being has two, two parts, right? A core version that is the best version of themselves that's been buried underneath years of fill in the blank. But I have to believe that there's a core part of all of us, the person we were meant to be, the, the, the people we were born to be, that's at the core of all of us. And, and it just, like I said, it kind of gets buried underneath traumas and stress and, and, and unmet needs and all these other things, you know, when, when I'm working with clients that we just kind of, I, ca I call myself an excavator, right? I need to excavate all that stuff so we can find that core version. And I believe that for every human being, I have to. Now, here's the second thing that I firmly believe. I also believe every human being can change. Every human being has the capacity to change, but they need the, in my world anyway, the way I teach it, I say, you know, we need three things in order to make a change. I need the right knowledge, I need the right tools, and I need the right motivation. And that motivation has to be internal. It has to be from inside of me. If I'm doing things for other people, that's external motivation. It'll, it's how I get most men to talk to me because their wives are usually threatening them. So that's external motivation, right? But after we work together, it shifts and it becomes internal motivation. So, you know, for anybody listening who is in this state of should I stay or should I go, the, the, the most direct answer I can give you for that is I don't want anybody to make decisions from a place of pain ever, mm. ever. And if I'm in a heightened state, if my nervous system is completely dysregulated, if I'm living in a toxic environment because my partner doesn't understand betrayal trauma, and if I start making major decisions during that time, they can potentially be the wrong one because I'm making decisions through my amygdala, which is that fight flight, right? Well, there's no logic, there's no reasoning, there's no long-term thinking when we make decisions from that place. So I wanna help people not make a decision, but get healthy so that they can then make a decision from a place of power. Now, as the betrayed partner, as she's getting healthier, as she's detaching from that story, and she's working on herself and healing herself, she's now watching her husband, right? What's he doing? Is he doing any work? Is he sharing? Is he getting closer? Is he opening up? Is he becoming? Is he becoming? And if the answer is no, the decision becomes much clearer. If he is, He's changing, he's trying, he's motivated, he's using the tools, he wants more education, more knowledge. Keep talking to me, Beth, keep talking to me, Beth. Tell me more, tell me more, right? I wanna know, I wanna know everything that's in your brain. I wanna help my wife, right? Okay, now, now I call it data, right? Now that betrayed partner has data to go, okay, for now, no decisions are forever, right? For now, I'll stay. That's very, 
that's such a a well thought out process you mm-hmm. have for helping people. It's not it's not black and white. It's it's very if this then that you know and that's uh, right. Um, wow, that's so that's so powerful. So I know you kind of hit on it, but I I, I want to just kind of just give an understanding what betrayal trauma is and mm-hmm. and you you know just just for somebody that might be going through this right now maybe they're in it and what are the signs and what are the things that they may be experiencing if sure so you know trauma is and, and and i have a lot of i've done a lot of studying with neuroscience which is basically the nervous system and the connection you know between our our brain and the nervous system trauma is an event that happens to us and it can be anything right um it can be big traumas it can be small traumas we can use the word trauma to describe a lot of different things but at the end of the day trauma is an event that happens to you that literally dysregulates your whole nervous system it activates that fight flight freeze fawn but but really we focus mostly on the fight flight um you know it it triggers that response in our body i'm not safe okay i'm not safe there's a threat there's danger so my brain and my nervous system are communicating right triggering that fight flight response so that's trauma no matter what the trauma is whether it's oh my god i see something moving in the grass right oh oh boy it's just a it's just a squirrel right or it's just a, a twig it's not a snake that's the same stress response when i found out that night of d day d day number 1 that my husband had been living a double life the same response kicked in i went into survival mode okay so that's trauma now let me talk and thank you thank you so much for giving me this platform because this is usually very validating for the betrayed partners and if there's any listening boy i really want them to uh stop everything and listen to this betrayal trauma can actually be considered worse than other traumas out there and if we think about really traumatic things that can happen to an adult right there's some pretty bad ones that we don't need to talk about everybody watches the news there's trauma that happens right betrayal trauma is unique for a few reasons and it's unlike other traumas number 1 with betrayal trauma your past changes just like that that night of d-day number 1 when my husband sat with me and said beth i need to tell you this my past changed literally changed and people don't respect that enough because unless you've lived it it doesn't you can't really you don't really know what that feels like to lose your past so it's the number one difference between experiencing trauma from a betrayal and experiencing trauma let's say from death So, you know, a a very sad story. One of my best friends for about 40 years, his wife passed away unexpectedly, literally 3 days ago. He's in a trauma state. He's experiencing major trauma. But guess what? All of his beautiful memories with his wife are all intact. Every memory is the same. There's no changing. With betrayal, 
it changes because there's been lying. The betrayed partner goes, who am I married to? I don't even know who you are, right? So when your past changes, that's traumatic in and of itself. So again, for any of the betrayed partners out there who may hear this message, losing your past is trauma and it makes betrayal trauma more intense than say some other traumas. There's another reason betrayal trauma is so unique and it's because the person that hurt you, let's say the perpetrator, right? Is somebody you picked, you handpicked. Maybe you handpicked this person out of dozens. Right. Technically you handpicked them out of millions, right? But right. you handpicked this person to have your back. That's right. Not only did you handpick this person, you stood up and made a vow with this person to honor and cherish and be faithful for the rest of your life. Okay. We don't do that with other traumas, do we? No. So that those are some, those are a few of the reasons, right? Now, one of the other reasons, the last one I'll speak about, and again, thank you so much for the platform is trust. Yes. Completely gone completely gone. So my past has changed. The person that's caused me this pain is somebody that I picked, right? I don't trust this person. I don't know what they're saying, who they are. My world is upside down. So betrayal trauma is very unique in those aspects. Now, let me add one more unique thing. Okay. If I'm trying to reconcile, now I'm living with the perpetrator. <laughs> That's rough. I'm living with the perpetrator, right? Wow. So give me other traumas where the victim, and again, I'm talking adult traumas, right? Where a victim lives with the perpetrator and lives with the perpetrator who doesn't even believe she's a victim. Whoa. That's heavy. You don't know how many times my husband said to me, Beth, you're crazy. Beth, you need to get over this. Beth, you are stuck in the past. You need to just move on already. Beth, you just need to forgive me. So not only am I living with the perpetrator, but the perpetrator doesn't even believe I'm a victim. Wow. Woo. You're speaking yeah. to so many people right now. I just know it. I know it. There's some people that are hearing this that they're being comforted right now. Oh, um, good. Can, can you speak about that piece of trusting your husband again? Because how, how do you get back to that? Mm. Right? And, and is there, is there an arrival, right? Like, is there, is, is it a, maybe it's a constant process. I don't know. I just, I just wonder, you know, I'm yeah. no, I know listeners are wondering, like, how did you build a trust with your husband again? And how can others yes. build a trust with their spouse again? Absolutely. And here's another thing, David, where we have it backwards. So let's, let's take me back, you know, during those three years, right? I didn't trust my husband as far as I could throw him. Not only did he, did he give me this one bit of information, but then there was like, I had like 12 D days in, in those three years, right? How do you trust after that? I mean, this was a man who was saying to me, Beth, that's it. I swear to God, there's nothing more. You know, everything. And sure enough, three months later, I found out there was more. So, you know, I have, again, somebody looking me in the eye, looking me in the eye saying, you know, everything. And then finding out that was a lie too. 
we have trust backwards. This was never about me learning to trust my husband. Never. It was always about my husband learning to trust me. My husband never trusted me. When we really think about trust, talking about betrayal in couples, okay? When we think about it, I, as the betrayed partner, trusted my husband completely. He traveled for work. I mean, I trusted him every minute of every day. It never dawned on me. It wasn't even like on my radar. There, Forget red flags. I didn't even have pink flags. It wasn't even in my wheelhouse. But he didn't trust me, did he? What is trust? Honesty. Honesty, right? I trust that what you're telling me is the truth. So he never trusted me. Now let's go back to the why, okay? When, that we were talking about a little bit ago. Part of the why, one, a common denominator with, with the men that I work with is that they don't trust. Most of them, when I ask the question, who do you trust the most in the world? How did you learn trust as a child? Most of them are like, I never trusted anybody. I had nobody I could count on. I didn't have anybody to depend on, or I trusted my mom, but not my dad, or I trusted my parents, but not my uncle. And, you know, trust is a huge factor in the why. Because honestly, at the end of the day, if my husband had trusted me, he would have been sharing these feelings that were happening way before the first affair, but he didn't trust me. So I didn't have to learn how to trust my husband. He had to learn how to trust me. And the more he trusted me, the more he opened up to me and became vulnerable with me and shared his why, his learnings, his understanding, his deeper core wounds, right? The more he shared those with me, the safer I felt in my nervous system, right? The threat is going away. He's not angry. He's not defensive. He's not yelling. He understands betrayal trauma. He's doing the work. He's figuring out the why, right? The more that happens, the more my nervous system calms down and I start to feel safer. I'm not going to trust anybody if my nervous system is out of whack. My nervous system is what tells me whether or not I can trust. That gut instinct that we talk about, right? If my gut instinct is saying he, he's not trustworthy, then guess what? He's not trustworthy. So we have it backwards. Betrayed Wives, one of the very first programs I did when I started to detach was a trust. I forget what it was even called, but it was something about trusting after betrayal. And I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. I think I even paid 97 bucks or something to take this five-day, whatever it was, right, little course. I was sucked into it too, thinking I needed to learn how to trust him. Mm. It's like, no, on the other side of this, it, it was a huge aha moment for me. It's like, no, he needs to learn. First of all, he's got to learn who he is, who's his core, what's been burying that core version of him. He's got to figure that out on his own. That's not my job. He's got to do that. And as he gets rid of all that, he shares with me and then trusts, he learns to trust me. Then I learned to trust him. That's how you build a whole new relationship on the other side. It's pure trust, pure honesty, pure vulnerability, but it's the unfaithful partner to the betrayed first, not the other way around. Wow. That's such an awesome discovery. I mean, like, 
it's not i'm sure it's not commonplace it's probably not common taught uh you know and and you're you're out here really really helping the perpetrator to do the deep work that they probably avoided it, you know uh, overall so it's it's it, it to me it's like it, it it's actually more loving this process because you're it, it's a care and consideration on that person to really help them heal uh, and and put more emphasis on their healing as a person, which which is counterintuitive, I'm sure, for for most in in your space and in your industry. So, with that said, Beth, I, if you if you you have still a brief moment, I just want to want to if you could take people inside, like you know, obviously without disclosing anything, but like a a, a story or a transformation of of a couple that you've been able to help, or maybe somebody mm-hmm. that thought, hey, this is. This is not possible. We'll, I don't know how we'll get through this, but we're going to give it a shot. And 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 yeah. you know through some of the ways that you're able to help them, and they're on the other side, and they're experiencing the bliss that you and your husband are experiencing. So could could you talk? Yeah. Could you talk about a scenario or so? Absolutely. And and you know uh, where to begin, right? You know, th- this is the beautiful thing about that question. So the couples that I work with, they all grow they all become, right? Because as soon as we, I look at, I look at some of our traumas, right? Uh, we kind of carry them in an emotional backpack is what I say, right? And as soon as we start like getting some of this stuff out of this, this backpack, we've been carrying and lugging all this stuff around with us, right? Every couple I work with releases the backpack, right? They release some of the traumas and the stress and the limiting beliefs and the fears and and things like that, that this backpack has been weighing them down with, right? Their whole lives. So, you know, working with couples where they both start emptying the backpack is is, is a wonderful experience. And I think of one couple where the, the gentleman was it's a very sad story, but I mean, he was a, a, a full sex addict. So there was pornography involved, prostitution, massage parlors, um, plus affairs, uh, emotional affairs. And what makes that story stand out in my mind is that not only did he have to stop all of that acting out, which was quite honestly, a huge shock to his system You know, we forget that the unfaithful partner is a human being. The unfaithful partner has this nervous system just like the betrayed partner does. And when they start changing behaviors, it is a shock. It's almost like taking alcohol away from an alcoholic, right? So uh, this couple comes to mind the most because I would say after about three months of detoxing, if you will, because there's a lot of chemical activity happening when there's affairs and and you know, things going on outside the marriage. Um, he was so relieved. He was like, Beth, I can breathe. I feel like I can breathe. He had been carrying so much shame inside of that backpack. I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. But as he got rid of it, he, that those were his first words. It was like, I feel like I can breathe. And I'm like, yeah, take a breath take a breath, breathe that air in and let's keep going. You see, I don't think there's ever an end game. 
You know, my husband and I today, we still work on our marriage. We still wake up with what I call intentionality. You know, we have, we can't ever go back on autopilot and I don't want to, and neither does he. So that couple that I work with, he, this gentleman that I'm talking about, once he could breathe, he was like, give me more, give me more. I want to learn everything I can. I want to start filling a new backpack. Mm -hmm. And I still work with him today. They have a great marriage today. Is there still pain? Of course. Mm. Look at what I do all day. I t- what did I just do here, right? I'm sharing this. Yeah. Re- that, that was a lot of pain, right? Mm. It doesn't affect me anymore. Mm. Why? Because I've healed from it. Why? Because I grew from it. Mm. I took all of that pain and I turned it into my power. My husband took all of his pain, turned it into his power. That's what I want for couples. But again, they have to come with the right motivation. They have to want to get rid of that backpack. And it's scary. It's scary to let go of something you've been carrying for decades sometimes. Wow. That's that's profound. Uh, um, so, Beth, if somebody is listening to this and says, wow, Coach Beth, I need to work with you. I need, mm. I need, you know, me and, you know, my spouse are going through something and need, need this nobody has this perspective that you have how how could what does that look like how do they how should they get in touch with sure. you work with you yeah I, you know i always recommend people go to the website it's coachbethfisher.com um i wish i wish it was easier but we have a c in fisher so i always spell it out for people so it's coach beth fisher but the fisher is f i s c h e r People will sometimes miss that. And the Coach Beth Fisher without the C was already taken. Otherwise, I would have bought that one, too, to to, to not stress people out. Um, but CoachBethFisher.com. And what's what's exciting about the, the our day that we're doing this today is next week, I'm actually doing a free webinar. And people can find that information on my website as well. It's absolutely free. It's Tuesday, November 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Um it's going to be a couple hours of exactly what I'm doing here, talking with people about how to heal both the betrayed perspective and the unfaithful perspective. But yeah, coachbethfisher.com. There's all kinds of links, all kinds of stuff they can look at. Excellent. Excellent. I, I got two final questions, if that's okay. To, to wrap sure. Up. Um, uh, the, the first question uh, is if you're speaking to a room right now of people you're envisioning, there's a room of you know, both the betrayed and the unfaithful partner, um, and you're speaking to a room of thousands of them. What is the one message you would say to them as a as a unit to them? If you had only a moment to share that one thing, what would that be? Hope. I mean, that that's the, that's the best four letter word out there. You know, there 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 is hope. You can get through this. But again, you have to have the right knowledge. When, when my husband and I went to marriage counseling, I was basically told, Beth, look, you decided to stay with this guy. You're going to have to just learn to live with this, right? So we need to have the right knowledge. We need the right tools and then that right motivation. And if people come, if people come to terms with that's what they need, then you can create a, a beautiful relationship on the other side. So hope, that's my message. There is hope, but people have to do the right, the right work. I love that. That's right. That's right. 
And the final question we ask every guest on the show mm -hmm. is from your perspective, what's the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? One's mm. one's wow, that's a great question. You know, I think my gift was teaching. You know, I mean, it was just something that I just, I, I always wanted to do. I had a 13 year gap where I did not teach. I, we, we owned a, a, a business that had nothing to do with teaching really uh, in between my teaching career and my D-Day and, and starting all of this, right? So I think my gift is teaching. Um, my purpose is spreading this message. I think betrayal is, it's, it's devastating for all those reasons I just said. We have a generational issue with, with dealing with betrayal. For example, my parents' generation, you didn't talk about it. You didn't go to therapy. You swept it under the rug. So I'm kind of, you know, my purpose, I think, is sharing that message that there is a healthy way to deal with infidelity. Whether or not you stay married or not, both people need some healing. The betrayed partner needs to heal and the unfaithful partner needs to heal. Otherwise, they're taking those situations to their next relationship. Mm. So I think my purpose is to spread the message that betrayal trauma is real and there is hope and you can get to the other side if you've got the right stuff. Knowledge, tools, motivation. Wow. This is profound. Beth, thank you so much for what you shared. I know lives are going to be impacted by this episode. And we truly appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate the platform, David. And now that I know you and listening to your things, thank you for what you're doing as well, you know, for the community. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Dear listener, I would like to thank you so much for listening to How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. As a token of my appreciation, I would love to give to you my most important piece of work to date, and it's called the Purpose Gift Tape. It's a motivational mixtape geared towards helping you to identify your gifts, which ultimately lead to you discovering your purpose. This is a six-track album I poured my heart and soul into. It includes beautiful beats and amazing spoken word over it, and I'd love to give that to you as a free gift as a token of my appreciation for being a part of the community. So to get your copy, all you need to do is go to podcast.daviddsimons.com. That's podcast.david, the middle initial D, Simons, S-I-M-O-N-S.com, and get yours today. Thank you for being a listener. I'll catch you on the next episode. How I Discover My Gift with David D. Simons is proud to be of the amazing and illustrious Alive Podcast Network.